who made that famous quote, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Amen. Very, very true. And uh, thank you for that. Thank you, Miss Robin, as always, for being faithful and filling in. We appreciate you. In case you haven't figured it out, the evolutionist is losing the argument regarding society getting better and better. Because a simple look around us would tell us that there have been some improvements. We think about technology. I think about medical science. But society, though they claim we're continually evolving, seems to be devolving. Not getting better, but getting worse. And I think about as societies seek to cast off God and his restraints, I always go back to Psalm chapter 2, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing, saying, let us cast their cords from us and break their bands asunder. And we don't want God. We don't want his rules. We don't want his restraints. In our lifetime, we have witnessed a, a myriad of behaviors which simply used to be called sin, which are now justified, accepted, and promoted. We have seen the judicial imposition of homosexual marriage. We have seen parents actually consenting to the physical and chemical castration of confused children. We have seen clergy forbidden from counseling against sinful sexual behaviors. We have seen gender identity and confusion being taught in schools and now have children in classrooms identifying as animals. This is going on, folks. Amen. The easy access of drugs and pornography. And a heavy thank you to the libertarians out there that always seem to come to those political positions of pornography and drugs being legalized. Truly, we are living in the days of Noah from Luke chapter 17, verse 26. The days of Lot from Luke chapter 17, verse 28. The days of peril. Remember what it said in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, Know this in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then the days of departure, if you just read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, I believe you see the modern society that is being formed. In the book of Joshua, we see in verse, chapter 1 through 5, and just an overview of Joshua, we see the preparation to enter Canaan. You remember the, the commissioning of Joshua in chapter 1, and, and uh, then we have the coming of the spies to Jericho in chapter 2, and then later we would see the, the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. But then from Joshua chapter 6 to chapter 12, we see not only the preparation to enter Canaan, we see the prevailing over the enemies of Canaan. And then we see the possession of the ends of Canaan. When, when God divides the land, and a good portion of the book of Joshua is just dividing the land amongst the tribes and whatnot. And it brings us to the end of Joshua here. In our text, 
in Joshua chapter 23, we have Joshua's farewell address, as it were, where God, and I think about this, and, and I've told this story before, I actually like telling this story. God had promised to give them the land, and they, by the way, they had a job to do as well. They were to drive out, I don't know any other way to say it than this, they were to drive out all the ites. I mean, you know the book of Joshua, and you know you have the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Ivites, and the Jebusites, and all these ungodlyites. He, he said, I want you to drive them out. But remember what he said? He said way back in Exodus chapter 23 and in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send hornets in front of you. Now, many of you were here and remember when we moved out to our property in Rives Junction. We, we lived in town here for nine years. It was wonderful. We loved, loved our home there on Washington. Uh, and, but we, we had the, just an incredible, the Lord did a work. God's people helped us. And, and we moved out and um, we, we had to get uh, what was called an, an RD loan, Rural Development uh, Mortgage. And it's kind of like the country companion to the city FHA loan. And you had to jump through some hoops. And one of the things, Ms. Kim, is we couldn't have any chipping paint on any of the buildings. The inspector would come out and look at it. So how many remember Drake Hathaway? Remember Drake? Amen. Uh, we, we paid Drake, I think, about 36 cents to come out and paint our, our eaves on our outbuilding. No, we, we took care of him. And, uh, but Drake got up on a ladder. And uh, it was on the outbuilding, this far building that's away from our home. And he got up on the ladder, and he started painting, and all of a sudden, he almost ran down that ladder and probably jumped about the last six rungs. And we, he, he came out, he said, he said, Pastor, I can't finish. And I was like, what do you mean? Are we going to get this thing done? And he said, there is a huge hornet's nest. Up on, and sure enough, I went around into that eve, and that thing was just like this. And so then it became... We'll see who's more stubborn, an independent Baptist preacher or a bunch of hornets. And it, it, was, it was a battle. It was a close, see, you, you learn things. It, it, by the way, if you have a hornet's nest, okay, deal with them at night. I dealt with them during the day. I'm telling you from painful experience, deal with them at night. So I went, and I think Uncle Joe, I think you had lent me that extension pole. That, and so I put a I put a boom a big big boom handle on that extension pole, and I got on you know the the hornet's nest was over here, so I got on this side and I got my extension pole up and I made sure it was going to go high enough and I I uh, it's looking and, and sure enough they're buzzing around they're they're up there you know the the, the sentries you know how they do and sure enough I took my I took my extension pole, I came around the side, raised it up, and, went, and I took that thing, I mean, just about almost all the way off. And I didn't wait and take pictures and selfies. I can tell you that right now. I went, I beat it. If my neighbor was watching, they must have spit their coffee out laughing at me, I'm telling you. Uh, and they were everywhere. But uh, I drove my vehicle over there, and they're hitting the windshield. They, I'm telling you, they were looking for a way in. I was going, man, I'm telling you. Hornets, and you know what they started doing, those buggers? They started trying to rebuild. 
I find I got a little light bar. Not the spray. You know, like eight foot it goes and all that. But I learned this. When hornets are approaching, you're going the opposite direction. This is why God gave this vivid illustration. He said, here's what I'm going to do. If you'll just obey me, I'll go before you as a hornet. And he did that. You remember, as you look at the conquests of the book of Joshua in chapter 6, remember, remember when Jericho fell? Jericho was indestructible. All God had his people do was walk around the city. Just to show that he was God. It wasn't them. Amen. And so God did that. And so in this, in this farewell address here, Joshua is getting ready to pass off the scene. And he gives Israel a history lesson, which I believe is applicable for our subject at hand today. And he really starts in verse 1. I love this. It says, and it came to pass, if you look at your Bible there, it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given Israel, or had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies. So they had had their conquests, and God gave them a period of rest from their enemies. Then it says in verse number 3, again, he's, he's talking here, he says, And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations. And again, we mentioned it in our reading, because of you. Could, could, we, could we, again, can I give you an interpretation? Because, because he loved you, because he said he would, because he promised, for your sake. You know, I think of that verse in the New Testament. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Now that's all great, amen, those are all things for us. But it says, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know why God forgave you? For Christ's sake. Because Jesus died on a cross and paid the penalty. Amen. Here he's, he's saying that God promised that he would drive out the enemies for your sake, Israel. And so he, we see the divine power. And, and, and he calls them to remember, verse 3, He done all these uh, nations because of you. For the Lord your God, it is he that hath fought for you. I think about that phraseology around Memorial Day. You know, I'm glad in America that we have Veterans Day and Memorial Day. You know why? Because some people fought for us. Amen? And here, he, Joshua is recalling to Israel the divine power that God had done incredible things on their behalf. But then, he also recounts in verse 4 the division of the land. Not only the divine power, but he says, Behold, I have divided unto you these nations that remain, an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan. He goes through there, obviously, the, the division of the land. But then in verse 5, he talks about the driving out of the enemies. He says, In the Lord your God, he shall what? Expel them from before you, and drive them from out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land. He's talking about the, the ungodly nations here that were in God's promised land. He says, well, I'm going to drive them out. And then, and here's kind of where we, this is, I've often said this about sermons. Uh, nobody minds a sermon's interpretation at all. Because really what that is is just reading the text and explaining it. 
But it's when you get to the application that sometimes preacher, people will give preachers a dirty look. Because now preachers start stepping on toes and saying, hey, this is what he requires of you. What are you going to do about it? And we see here the, the, not only the divine power in verse 3 and the division of the land in verse 4, the driving out of the enemies in verse 5, but we see the demands upon God's people in verses 6 through 13. And they're not unreasonable demands for the one who has fought for you. The one who sent the hornets in front of you. He says the first thing in verse number 6, look at it with me. He says, be therefore what? Very courageous. He says, I want you to be courageous. Be courageous. By the way, there's a particular courageousness here, but I think about this all the time in regards to courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. I've heard, I've heard so many military testimonies. Uh, you know, some, some, some reviewers said, were you afraid when you were at Iwo Jima? And they expect this guy to say, oh, no, we just went up the hill. And, and every one of them says, you betcha. And sometimes they use choicer language than that. And they say, when the bullets are flying by your head and you see your buddy get blown up, you're afraid, but we still had to do our job. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what's right despite the fear. So he tells them to be courageous, but it really the courageousness is in something specific. He says, be therefore very courageous to what? To keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. So what demand does he make? He says, be courageous. Secondly, he says, to be obedient. To be obedient. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I think I mentioned this on social media the other day. Most of the Christian life, most of the Christian life is just small decisions to trust and obey God and not obey yourself. It re really is. And, and so many times we get hung up on, well, you know, Pastor, what, what about Ezekiel's vision? And, and, and what about the book of uh, Habakkuk and all that? Hey, how about just being doers of the word with what you know? Amen? Just, just do it. If the Bible says you ought to share your faith with somebody else, then try to share your faith with somebody else. If you're not good at it, learn to get better at it. Amen? If the Bible says you ought to give, then give. Amen? If the Bible says you ought to pray, you pray. If the Bible says you ought to read the Bible, then read your Bible. If the Bible says you ought to come to church, then come to church. These are just the basics of Christianity. But so many times we get hooked on, well, I don't really know what it says about this, but you know a lot of what it says about other things. Just obey what you know. Amen? That's what he says here. Be obedient. Be courageous. But then he says something else, and we're, we're going to look at this today. Lord willing. In verse 7 and 8, he says that ye come not among these nations. Now he's not talking about the physical land here. Okay? Because they were coming into the, that nation. And they were going, God was going to dispossess these ungodly people. He said, these that remain among you. But here's what it says. Neither make mention of the name of their what? Okay? Remember, these were the ungodly ites, is, is the easiest way to say it. Nor cause to swear by them. So he says, he says I, I don't want you to make mention of their gods. I don't want you to, to, to make agreements with them. Neither serve them. 
say, oh, could that happen? Anybody remember the story of the prodigal son? What did the prodigal son end up doing? He ended up on a hog farm. Were Jew was that a good occupation for Jews? Amongst no. Okay, so he says, and this is way back in the Old Testament here, neither serve them nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God as you've done this day. So what do we see here in verse 7 and 8? Not only does he make the demand of them to be courageous and obedient, but he makes the demand of them to be separated. Separated. He's like, I don't, I don't want this mingling with the ungodly. And I think about this. We're going to talk about this in, in the right light here. But then he, he, he puts a demand on him, I love this, to be blessed. You say, what, what's the demand to be blessed? Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he is he that fighteth for you. So when he gives the command of separation, he ties it to blessing. He says, if you, if you stay separate, all I'll do is bless you like I have this entire time here in the land of Canaan. So be courageous, be obedient, be separated, be blessed. But then he tells them in verse 11, and here's our Valentine's verse, be devoted. What does he say? Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that ye, what? Love the Lord your God. We talked about that a couple weeks back. We talked about the, kind of in reverse, we talked about the greatest sin that a Christian could commit. And we went through the laundry list, thinking of all the different sins that a Christian can commit. And by the way, a Christian can commit any sin a lost person can commit. But really, the greatest sin that a Christian can commit is to not love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You say, how, how do you know that, Pastor? Because Jesus said that's the greatest commandment of all. So if you disobey the greatest commandment, you're committing the greatest sin. And so he tells them here, and by the way, the key to being separated and being obedient and being courageous is being devoted. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then, and I want to get to this as the key thought for today. He tells them to be careful. In verses 12 and 13. And I want you to look at these verses. And I think we're going to broach a subject which is becoming very neglected amongst churches in this day and age. He says here, else, or we can put it this way, or else. Did anybody ever have an or else dad? You do this or else. It's not, hey, you're going to, you know, I'll, I'll reward you with this or that. It's, you do this or else. <laughs> well, here God says or else. He said, you can either love the Lord your God or else. What happens if we don't love the Lord our God? If ye in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, these ungodly nations, amen, what he had just said in verse 7, even 
even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them. And by the way, some people have taken these verses and, and perverted them, uh, thinking that this forbids interracial marriage. It does not. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. It's talking about the godly and the ungodly here. Okay? He says, Even these that remain among you and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you. Now here it is. Here, here, here's, be careful. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. So not only is God not going to drive them out anymore, but then it gets more specific. It said, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, scourges in your side. One of the cruelest forms of what happened to Jesus was when he was scourged. They took that cat of nine tails, that, that whip with those pieces of rock and pottery and broken glass and they tore the flesh off of him. They said, that's what these are going to be like. They're going to be scourges. How about this? And thorns in your eyes. I don't know much about the eye, but I know this. If you get just a, a, a grain of sand in your eye, it is awful. Can you imagine a thorn in your eye? You know what he's saying? You better be careful. You better be careful until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Here's our, our thought, and I'll, I'll get into the points today. God's people, here, surrounded by God's enemies, needed God's blessing. Huh? You think so? I think so. how important it is for us as God's people all these years later in, in that, by way of application to have God's blessing in the midst of these distressing days. You and I need God's blessing in our life. Listen, there are people that are haters of God, it says in 2 Timothy 3. There are those that are despisers of those that are good. And you and I in our lives need God's power and we need God's blessing and there is an avenue by which He guarantees it. And it is this subject. Separation. Preachers do not preach on separation very much anymore. And some who do, do it a disservice. Some of you, as soon as I said separation, you think, okay, he's going to talk about skirts. He's going to talk about, you know, not going to movie theaters, not uh, cussing and chewing and running with those that do. Listen, those are all byproducts of true separation. God here, I believe, describes what true separation is. And being separate, not holier than thou, and all God's people said, being separated unto God guarantees God's blessing. So what he said, if you'll just love me, 
and be a, a peculiar people unto me, I'll bless you just like I have. And if you don't, I won't. And you'll... Listen, the last thing in this wicked world that you want to be is on your own without God's blessing. Now, you're still his child, but you listen to me. If you choose to forsake this doctrine of separation and say, I'll just do what I want, yes, you will, and there will be consequences. And those consequences for Israel were listed in verse number 13, and none of them are good. In verse 14, it goes on, verse, verse 16, the end. When you've transgressed the covenant of the law, which I've commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then the anger of the Lord be kindled against you. You know, I think about what Abraham Lincoln said during the Civil War. You know, during the Civil War, the South prayed to God, our God, and the North prayed to our God, didn't they? Brother was against brother. And I think it was Lincoln that they quoted Romans chapter 8, verse 31, where it says, If the Lord be for us, who can be against us? And Lincoln said, I'm not concerned whether I'm on God's side. I'm concerned whether he's on my side. And in this area of separation, you can either be on God's side or you can be on your side. Can't be on both. And so let me just give you a simple outline today, and we're going to look at some scriptures. First of all, I believe we see the pattern of separation. The pattern of separation. It's twofold in, in this text and uh, other spots, but it's positive. And that is found in verse number 8 and verse number 11. And to me, this is the absolute to separation. There are so many times where uh, people take separation and they make it always from something. You'll be separated from this. We, we don't go to these places and we don't do this and we don't do that. And, we don't. and certainly there's an aspect of that in separation. I, I, there ought to be places where Christians don't go. On, but it all starts with a positive. The, the, the pattern of separation, the positive is in verse 8. Look at it. It says, but cleave unto the Lord your God as you have done unto this day. And in verse 11, take good heed therefore unto yourselves that you what? Love the Lord your God. Again, I, I mentioned in Sunday school, we were handing out Bibles yesterday and a car passed by me and there was a light there so they were kind of stopped and as they were, I heard the introduction to a heavy metal song that years ago, 30 years ago, my band used to play that song. And I listened to that song over and over. I mean, every trying to get every last detail of the drumming lines and try to... Try. And so as soon as that guy pulled up, I recognized it. And then he pulled off. And I remember, I remember getting saved at 23 years of age. And I remember for a little while, Uncle Joe, I still worked in my friend's band. They, 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 I, would, I would stand off to the side and, and his drums would be over there. If, if something fell over or he lost a stick or something like that, I would just go over. We'd help set up and tear down. And I hadn't been saved very, very long where I started learning to love the Lord. I just, I just started appreciating what he had done for me. 
And that's what it is to love the Lord, isn't it? Really just to appreciate what He's done for you, all that He's done for you, when you think about it in your life. And I began to <clears throat> to, to just try to love Him and, and was going to church in the morning. And then uh, still, you know, there's a, there's a pull that the world has. And if you don't think it, it, it does, then it's maybe been a little while since you've had any contact with it. And I remember what it was to, to, to try and say, Lord, I want to love you. I, I, I do want to love you. I, I, I do appreciate what you've done for me. Because that's the positive part of separation. Then what happens is the negative part of separation is also in this text. And it's found in verse 7. It says that ye come not among these nations that remain among you, that neither make mention of the name of their gods, cause to swear by them, serve them by yourselves down to them. Uh, verse 12, if any wise you go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations that remain. So, so there's the positive of saying, I want to I I separate myself to God. But then when you do that, when you decide to do that, a lot of the negatives kind of come automatically. <coughs> I remember, <coughs> I remember it wasn't long that my <coughs> old friends didn't want to hang out with me very much. <coughs> and it wasn't, I was not somebody that was beat people over the head and holier than thou or anything. I was just trying to love God. I was just just trying to live for Him and love Him. And it's amazing how that kind of separation takes place. But it all starts, it starts with the positive. You separate yourself unto God. Learn to love Him. Now that, when I think about loving God, that is the hub of the Christian life. That is the hub. Everything else is a spoke. The hub is, I'm going to love God. I want to love God. He, he sent His Son to die for me. He gave me life, gave me eternal life. Amen. And I want to love Him. So there's the pattern of separation. It's first positive, and then it's negative. When you get to love God, then you can read, love not the world, neither the things of the world, and say, well, okay, if I love God like I should, I can't love the world in this temporal place. But then, there's not only the pattern of separation in our text, but there's the power of separation in our text. Look at, if you would, verse 3. What do you see here? It says, and you know this is when obviously they were separated unto God. You find that in verse 1. <clears throat> but it says, And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. What is he, what is he talking about here? He's talking about in Canaan, when God drove all these people out. Then verse 5, And the Lord your God, he shall expel them before you, drive them out of your sight, and ye shall possess their land as the Lord God hath promised unto you. So what he's, he's showing here, the power of separation, when they're separated... They have the power of God going before them in their midst. Verse 9, For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, love this, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. So that was when they were separated. They had God's power with them. 
But how about when they weren't separated? Verse 12 and 13. Else, God says, I won't do it anymore. I won't do it anymore. That's powerful. That's powerful. Knowing how ungodly the world is getting, and knowing that the godly are certainly... <laughs> no, the, the, the ungodly don't care for the godly. Let's just put it that way. Now, we, we still have to be godly. We still have to do what we're supposed to do. But we need God's power and God's blessing in our lives. And the way to get that is by being separated unto God. So there's the pattern of separation. There's the power of separation. And then I believe in the Old Testament, there's one who is a picture of separation. So you're in Joshua. Go over to the book of Judges, chapter number 13. Let's just walk through Judges just a little bit here. And then we'll go into the New Testament. Look at what the Bible says about this doctrine of separation. Judges chapter 13, I'm just going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. This is the pattern in Judges. Israel disobeys God. God delivers them into the hand of a foreign power. They cry out to God. He raises up a judge. God delivers them through the judge. And then that circle repeats over and over and over in the book of Judges. So in verse 2 it says, And there was a man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink. And eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So, again, those of us that know our Bible know that this child that will be born, his name was Samson. And he became known as God's strong man. Now, I do not think that Samson was imposing in stature at all. And what, what was the, what was the, distinct, the distinctive characteristic of Samson? It was his long, flowing, thick hair. And what was that? If you read Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we don't have time uh, to read it today. But the, his, his hair was a sign of his separation unto God. He was a Nazarite, and it says here, separated from his mother's womb. And that hair was a sign. And so, you remember his separation. We remember his connection with God. If you were to read Judges 13, 14, and 15, you'll find several instances where it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and Samson did these mighty deeds. But then, not only his 
separation and this connection. And again, while he was separated, he had God's power. But then I think probably the most famous story of Samson that we know is in Judges chapter 16, and that is his destruction. You remember what happened? Ungodly Philistines paid Delilah. And Samson, you know, I, I've got notes in my Bible. I have a wide margin Bible. And, you know, the first time she asked him, well, tell me your great strength. And he tells her, and she does that. I put next to the, my, my wide margin of my Bible, I put dumb. And then again, he says, tell me your great strength. And he tells her something, and she does that to try to sap his strength. In my Bible, it says dumber. And then finally, she wears him down and says, look, if they just cut my hair, which is a symbol of his separation unto God. It wasn't the hair that made him powerful. It was the God that made him powerful. So if they just cut my hair, I'll be weak. And I put next to that in my Bible, dumbest. Because that's what happened. If you look over just a couple pages in Judges chapter 16, look at verse 19. She made him sleep upon her knees. She called for a man. She caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. The only problem was he had forsaken his separation. He didn't realize that the power was gone. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible is verse 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. And he bow, and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind at the prison house. I, I'll, Lord willing, if I keep my memory, I'll never forget a message Dr. Malone used to preach out of this text. And he said, sin blinds, sin binds, and sin grinds. All in that text right there. See, Samson is a picture of separation. His hair was the symbol. When he was separated to God, he had God's power. And when he wasn't, he lost it. Let's go to the New Testament and we'll finish this morning. We looked at the pattern of separation. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please. The pattern of separation, it's positive, it's unto God first, and then from the negative things. Power of separation. When Israel was separated, they had God's power, and when they forsook his separation, they didn't have it. The picture of separation is Samson. We see his separation, his hair was a sign. We see his connection to God while he was separated, he had God's power, and we see his destruction. But I want to notice proclamation of separation. Not only the pattern, the power, the picture, but the proclamation of separation here in the New Testament. Here 
here's the, the application for our message today. I, this is, Pastor, you've been talking about Israel, and we, we know, obviously, we're not Israel. The Christ, Christians in the church are in Israel, but what can we learn from this? Well, here's what the New Testament has to say about the subject of separation. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So, he gives a clear command. We are not to be unequally yoked. In Romans 12, 2, it puts it this way. Romans 12, 1 is such a great verse. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then verse 2 says this, And be not conformed to this world. So what's the command? The command is to be separate or different from unbelievers. Amen. See, there's a whole philosophy in Christianity. There's a philosophy that separation is found throughout the Bible and that you make a difference by being different. And then there's the philosophy of New Evangelicalism that says it's infiltration, you be like the world to win the world. The only problem with that one is it fails the scriptural test. But I'm telling you, churches buy into it all the time. He tells us, it's a command. We're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We are not to be conformed into the image of the world. We're just not to do it. Be different. Secondly, we see not only a command not to be unequally yoked, but then we see the contrasts. Because Paul is making an argument here for God's people to be different. And he says in verse 14, he said, What communion hath light with darkness? Can light and darkness exist in the same space? No. Light dispels darkness. Then he says in verse 15, And what concord or, or agreement has Christ with Belial? Belial is another name for Satan. He said, do Christ and Satan get along? No, they don't. And then he goes on, he says, And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Have you ever, ever tried to convince an infidel? I'm going to tell you what. You might as well, and again, we're, we're to give the gospel to people. I'm talking about somebody that's cross God's, you might as well bang your head against that brick wall right there. You're just not going to agree. And that's what he's saying here. No, you're not. No, you shouldn't. He said, because the infidel is going to take you to his position. And he goes on to say, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? None. Right? And so he, he gives some contrasts here. But then he talks about communion in verse 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Did you know that if you're a Christian, you are the temple of the living God? The Holy Spirit lives inside you? That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which he hath given you, which is in you? Listen, you're, 
You, you have God the Holy Spirit inside you. I, I saw a, a post recently. It was just a great thought-provoking post. It says, one day I, I can't wait to get to heaven and, and ask, I can't remember which one it was, like, ask Daniel what it was like to be in the lion's den or you know, one of the great stories, Bible stories that we know. And then it said, but I wonder if he's going to ask me what was it like to have God the Holy Ghost living inside you. proclamation of separation, the command, the contrast, the communion. Listen, the fact is that when it comes to separation, God the Holy Spirit lives inside you. Go back to my story about that I was telling about my band. I remember, I remember it, I remember it, I remember it. It was almost 30 years ago. Everything's going on, the band's playing, the music is blaring, everybody's dancing and drinking and doing all that, and just as loud as could be, I heard the Holy Spirit in a sweet, still, small voice say, you don't belong here. Yeah. Not long after that, I told my buddy, I said, you know, just can't do it anymore. I wish I, I wish I would have said, oh, I, I got everybody together and we had prayer and 87 people got saved. And No, I just said, no, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't even know what I said as far as I want to live for God or anything like that. I just said, I can't do this anymore. That's separation. When God, who lives inside you, says, please don't. Don't do that. You know, the Bible says in... Ephesians 4.30, Grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of... You know, everything you watch, the Holy Spirit has to watch. Everything you listen to, the Holy Spirit has to listen to. You know why? Because He made a promise He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you until the day of redemption. I think of what we put the Holy Spirit through in our lives, through a lack of separation. So there's the communion. Then there's the call. And here it is. And this is, you, you know, again, preachers that do a disservice to separation sometimes just preach this verse without describing the positive and the name. Wherefore, come ye, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. We're just not supposed to be like the world. Now, I, I understand separation, different, different levels of separation, conscience issues. I understand all those things. I, I really do. I've, I've wrestled with some of those things myself and through the years. And uh, Some things we do, don't do. I get all that. Uh, Romans 14 talks about let every man be persuaded in his own mind. Amen. But this says real specifically when it comes to unbelievers, when it comes to the world, when it comes to ungodliness, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And this goes back to our point right here. The call is to come out and be separate, but then there's a commitment from God. And that's what we mirror back to Israel. God says, if you'll just be separate unto me, I'll bless you in ways you could never imagine. And here he says in verse 18, verse 17 and 18, Be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will what? I'll receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. When my kids were smaller, and, and sometimes even now, I would tell them to do something knowing that if they did it, I would reward them. 
I wouldn't necessarily say I'm going to reward you. But I knew if they just did what I said, I would reward them. I want to tell you something about our Heavenly Father. He's a good Father. He's a good Father. He's a much better Father than I am. And here's what He has said. If you will just be separated unto me, you'll come out from among them and be separate. Be separated unto me. I'll bless you. And if you don't, I won't. Again, this is not, this is not an amen message. That's okay. It's alright. It's a Bible message. It's a message about biblical truth here, about how we decide to live our lives, the decisions we make. Are we separating ourselves unto God Almighty? Are we going to stumble? Yes. Did we this week? And all God's people said, yes, of course we did. But I'm talking about the general tenor of our lives is saying, look, I want to just love God. And if I love God, here's what's going to happen. The closer I get to God, the further I'm going to get from the world. It's just a matter of physics. It really is. If I, I just keep, keep loving God and, and God's over here and the world's over here. Now the world's going to still call and beckon for us. Hey, come back over. That's why God had to say so clearly, don't go back to them. Don't go. They're going to keep calling for you. Listen, this goes back to just saying, here's, here's the positive separation. Lord, help me to love you. And if I love you, I won't love the world. Oh, it's, it's still going to pull at you. It may, it may trip you every once in a while. But separation becomes as easy as this. Lord, I just want to be separated unto you. Again, it doesn't mean we're holier than thou. It doesn't mean we look down at people uh, who have maybe a different dress standard than we do or what. But it's just a matter of saying, God, with every bit of my being, with every decision I make, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. And that starts with separation. And God says, if you'll just separate unto me, I'll bless you like you could never even imagine. Most people miss that. And it's a shame. Because it's the key to God's blessing. And we need God's blessing in our life. Father, Lord, this...